0: Larissa Berendt is a legal academic, a writer, filmmaker, and Indigenous rights advocate. Her first novel, Home, won the 2002 David Uniapon Award and the 2005 Commonwealth Writer's Prize. Her second novel, Legacy, won the 2010 Victorian Premier's Literary Award. Larissa has also published numerous works of nonfiction, including Finding Eliza, Colonial Power, and Storytelling. She was also a multi-award-winning director and writer of documentary films, including After the Apology and Innocence Betrayed. In 2009, she was named No Doc Person of the Year, and in 2011, the New South Wales Australian of the Year. Larissa was the first Indigenous Australian to graduate from Harvard Law School. She is currently Professor of Law and Director of Research at the Jambana Indigenous House of Learning at the University of Technology, Sydney. Larissa is also the host of ABC Radio National's Speaking Out, a program that covers politics, arts and culture from an Indigenous perspective. Today I'm talking to Larissa about her new novel, After Story. It's published by University of Queensland Press. Larissa, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast.
1: Great to be here.
0: Larissa, that has to be one of the longest, most impressive and most diverse biographies I've ever had to deliver. And that's still only half the story. (laughs) there is more to say about your involvement in indigenous education and the treatment of aboriginal peoples in the criminal justice system so my first question is what does writing fiction bring to your already incredibly productive life
1: well actually i love writing and even if i wasn't being published it would be something that i did i find it therapeutic um i love it as a craft um so It gives me a great deal of pleasure to do it i find in doing difficult legal work particularly um, that having creative outlets is really important to me so there's an element of well-being and uh, looking after myself that comes from it but also importantly i think as an advocate for change I've really been interested in the power of storytelling to bring, I guess, a human dimension to the legal issues that I'm working on. And as a way of, I guess, reaching a broader audience to think about things that I think are um, difficult, systemic problems.
0: We'll jump into some of those issues a bit later, but I'm always interested in what titles tell readers about the contents of a book. What does after story tell us about this book?
1: Well, I think for me, one of the big thematics I was really looking at is the power of storytelling. And I do that from a range of perspectives. As somebody who grew up just loving reading and reading was a real escape for me. And I learned a lot about the world through books. um, And I still love reading. So there's the sense of the power of uh, story being a place to escape to. I come from a culture where story is a really important part of our culture because we have oral histories, our laws, our uh, protocols are all within our cultural stories, our dreamtime stories. Over time, I've realised how important the process of storytelling is to the people I work with, particularly people who come from marginalised backgrounds and whose story often doesn't get told. It's important for us to hear those stories. It's important for people to have a platform to tell them. It's partly why not only did I move into fiction writing and storytelling in that way, but I love broadcasting. I love radio as a medium where you hear people's voices. And it was a big draw for me going into the world of documentary where it was really a place for me to not be an advocate so much by, putting myself in the position of telling a story but creating a space to tell the stories of other people who I thought had compelling stories that needed to be told. The title speaks to the importance of story, but not just the process of story, but where we get to after we hear those stories and think about them, and that's where the title after story comes from.
0: Is there somehow something at odds between your work as a legal advocate and this idea of storytelling, a world based on evidence and reason versus a world that's much more focused on a long, enduring thread of culture through which, I guess, stories, not just stories, but people and places and even law are told. Is there some kind of conflict for you between those two?
1: I feel quite a range of tensions. It's a great observation, really, because there is the tension in what you're describing of the way that Western law focuses on what it calls, you know, the idea that there are facts that can be known, uh, that you apply a set of laws and somehow you get get a just outcome. There's so many flaws with that, but it's also in tension with the way that we, in my culture, think about the process of uh, justice, which is much more a community-based process and where people get to give much more vocalization to how they've been affected by something. And solutions were never in incarceration. The idea of punishment and rehabilitation were much more complex in those communities. So there's that aspect. But I always struggled too, just being a law student and having an Aboriginal background Aboriginal issues are always talked about as problems, whereas I come from a community where I see so much resilience and problem solving. Always to see yourself as the problem that needed to be solved was quite confronting for me. Um, a lack of celebration of resilience, a lack of celebration of the importance of self-determination was difficult for me. Um, and I guess the other thing that I, I, guess I explore in the book a bit is as a Indigenous person, when you sit in a, a law school particularly, there are a range of things that you look at in relation to statistics and data, particularly deaths in custody and victims of crime statistics, where we are overrepresented in those areas. And it is usual, not unlikely. In my case, it was the case that um, I had very real lived experience of those things. I had a death in custody in my extended family that was looked at as part of the Royal Commission. And, you know, there were other ways in which the statistics that we looked at in the classroom had actual real meaning for me and I found that really disconnecting, that you're dealt with as statistics rather than stories. So I guess for me that was another place where those tensions came out.
0: So have those tensions found their way into this book, into After Story? Because there are two characters here. There's Jasmine who bears a striking resemblance to you and her mother, Della, who are undertaking a literary tour of the UK. It's a deeply personal story.
1: This story was something that was much more inspired by the cases I've worked on and the impact I saw in those cases, particularly on families who'd been victims of crime or had deaths in custody in their family and the impact of that over a long period and we do talk more about the concept of intergenerational trauma now but I don't think we really deeply understand enough how it plays out from generation to generation and certainly some of the experiences um, I write about in the book are things that I've observed through my casework Um, so it's personal to me in that way but in some ways it's much less autobiographical in that sense but you know I, i think you can't get drawn to a story unless it has a real personal resonance to you and and i think for me a large part of what is very personal about the stories is the universal thing of really trying to understand our parents and the things that we've found difficult or challenging about our relationship with them the the process of trying to come to some understanding or some peace with that is something that was very personal to me, uh, particularly with my father, who was a very complex man. I have a very good relationship with my mother, so Della wasn't based on my mum, but an amalgam of other wonderful women I've known. Um, But the other thing that was very personal to me was, as somebody who'd come from a strong Aboriginal community and family, my father being very strong in our culture, but choosing a path through a profession and becoming um, successful as a lawyer and as an academic, realizing that I had adopted a system that wasn't making space for my cultural heritage and having to really rethink my process that not to become successful in a Western sense. And that process of coming back to think about and rethinking about how I approached my work. And um, the way that I lived um, by reconnecting to that culture and appreciating things that I'd probably taken for granted, which I think is a thematic in the book, particularly for the character of Jasmine, who you rightly identify as being much more closely related to my own experience, was something that was very personal to me too.
0: Jasmine is faced with a dilemma. She's trying to reconnect with her mother in a situation that's very foreign to Della, her mother, and she's trying to work out her place, Both of those characters are trying to work out their place. Jasmine's trying to work out her relation to to her mother and Della's trying to work out, I suppose, where she fits into the world.
1: I think at the core of it is the the almost primitive need we have to be loved by our parents and and, and the primitive love a parent has for a child. And I guess for Jasmine, part of her... Her journey really through the novel is that she comes from a place where she feels her mother doesn't understand her or connect with her. And through the circumstances that arise where she has the opportunity to take somebody on this tour with her, she chooses her mother in circumstances where she's going through the grief of the death of her father. So really the impetus to want to reconnect with her other parent becomes rawer for her, more urgent. She she sees the tour, which goes to all the places that were the sites of the books that Jasmine loves.
0: So, we're talking here about people like Jane Austen and Jane the Monte sisters, sisters um, Hardy. Hardy. Dickens.
1: Dickens, yes. (laughs) Look at us. Naming them at the same time, Um, and which were all the books that I loved. And I, I did feel that when I eventually visited those places, particularly places like Bath that Jane Austen writes about so vividly you can almost see it, you know, I do appreciate that when you say that, that really did ring true to me, that these were places that would have been very familiar to Jasmine in that way. But she takes her mother there because I guess she's desperate in a way to show her mother who she is in the hope that her mother will see her for who she is and and connect to her as somebody who's educated and moved away from the small town and Della's never been to university. She sees the world very differently, much more practically, um, much more um, emotionally. Uh, Jasmine thinks much more viscerally, um, much more intellectually she sort of i think has a desire that if if she can bring her mother more into her world her mother will understand her more and of course i think one of the things that she starts to realize is that she's really trying to get the people around her to live up to her own standards and it's a challenge that she has to meet in terms of then trying to reconnect with her mother Della's interest in coming along is partly Uh, because going through the same grief of losing the man that she's been in love with, who is Jasmine's father, um, she has her own grief and has also felt disconnected to this daughter who's a mystery to her, so different, and then I guess has a different way of trying to connect to her. And, you know, we, we don't like to give too much away, but let's just say that storytelling becomes a very key way in which they find some mutual ground.
0: In preparing for this interview, I came across an article you wrote for the Australian Journal of Human Rights back in 1997, and there was just a few paragraphs in there that intrigued me, I suppose, and, and I wondered whether there was a relationship between your thoughts and ideas and whether this book might have been somehow a fictional expression of some of the things that you raised there. I'd just like to get your reaction Aboriginal people, like other minority groups, are already exposed to different canons when they live between two different cultures. They socialise and relax in a community with different cultural practices to the ones they work in. They already have more than one context in which to explore options and ways of understanding. They are constantly seeking ways of accommodating different values. For this reason, Indigenous people are useful agents for transformative change. Just made me think about Jasmine.
1: Since writing that back in 97, over 20 years in academia in a senior position, and I think a lot of what I've looked at in terms of Jasmine's experience um, of trying to navigate her way between the two worlds um, and finding herself a little lost uh, when she loses too much connection with her Aboriginal culture is, um, you know, is, is something that I've continued to think about and experience and feel and see others going through that. I mean, if there's been one positive change, and I think it comes through a little bit in, in the novel, in some of the things I look at, particularly from uh, Jasmine's side, is that there has been an increase in the presence of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the academy. There's now a use of Indigenous methodologies which is referred to in one of Jasmine's comments with one of her friends, there's a larger presence. There's a cohort coming through now, whereas once upon a time you were almost always the only person who was um, identifying as Aboriginal in a, in a context that's certainly changing now. So I still feel like it's something that, that, that we, we navigate and I, I don't know that, particularly in relation to the criminal justice system when we talk about um, the systemic issues there. We're looking at some of the same issues now as we were at the time of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. So 30 years ago, the rates of incarceration have increased, the rates of being victims of crime have increased. So there's still a sense that there are some really unsettled areas, despite the fact that I think the positives are Uh, that there is a greater presence within institutions, a greater interest in institutions thinking about these issues. And certainly I think a lot of examples of where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and their communities have come up with really good solutions to deal with what seem to governments as intractable solutions. So that idea too I think is really important as part of that to me. It's that The resilience that is always there that I see in my community behind this, the close the gap figures, the socioeconomic disparity, always feels like it's only one part of the story to me. It's the negative part. And the positive strength space part is these amazing, amazing people, these great storytellers, these generous hearts, these great minds, these practical people. Um, The resilience, particularly of women, in the Aboriginal community who hold families together, hold communities together. I feel I see that a lot. I don't see it a lot on the screen. I don't see it a lot in fiction outside of Indigenous writing. Um, I certainly don't see it on the television. And for me, it just feels like that's something also that needs to be celebrated. A character like Arnie Elaine, who's you know, a matriarch of the community and a really significant figure in both Della and Jasmine's lives. Um, is based on on very an amalgam of very real women for me, um, and represents something really important.
0: And how important do you think the emergence of new uh, Indigenous writers of fiction is to telling that story of making people aware of what's going on?
1: Oh, I, it, I I think it's such an exciting time for Indigenous writing, and it was so much my experience, which I you know obviously reflect in the novel of writing, of growing up and really not being exposed at the time I went through my schooling to any Indigenous writing. And what a revelation it was when I finally started to discover it. And actually the, the first book I ever read by a person of colour was The Colour Purple by Alice Walker. And it was just an absolute revelation to me. And then I read everything by Toni Morrison. I, I felt like there'd been this whole world that had I'd been kept from and as somebody who just loves reading, um, that was such a joyous thing. And I think it's wonderful that there is so much content now on the curriculum compared to when I was going through school, that people do read books by Tony Birch or Alexis Wright or, you know, all of these great storytellers, people like Anita Heiss, working across genres and creating a really great canon of, of books for us to read. And um, you know, re- really fantastic young Indigenous writers like Alison Whittaker, the poet, and uh, Ellen Van Nierven who were just coming through with a whole new layer of storytelling. And there was a time when most of what people would be prepared to publish of Aboriginal writing, it wasn't that people didn't have stories to tell, but there was no interest in supporting or promoting Indigenous writers and it was mostly memoir which was, of course, incredibly important. But now we see just a plethora of writing. I think it's been incredibly important. Um, I did a a book called Indigenous Australia for Dummies, and just this last year I did an update after 10 years, and the two chapters that took me the longest to update were the chapters on literature and film and television, which I think is just a wonderful example of how much the canon's grown and how much more opportunity there is um, for people to engage in these stories. Um, You know we've seen significant literary prizes won by Indigenous writers and I think we're getting to the stage where you know people really are seeing Indigenous stories as a central part of Australian storytelling. We're not on the fringes, we're we're not a minority we're not a an us and them. This is actually central Australian storytelling it has to include Indigenous story and, and a greater recognition that those stories need to, to come from First Nations voices. I think it's a very exciting time for writers and for readers.
0: Your enthusiasm for literature is uh, infectious and it just reminds me that there's so much more to look forward to. Larissa Barrent, thank you so much for joining me on the Good Reading podcast.
1: Thank you so much. What a great conversation. Thank you.
0: I've been talking to Larissa Berent about her new novel, After Story. It's published by the University of Queensland Press and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name is Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how.